Where to Next Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. Hi there, I'm Angelica, your host and producer, and welcome aboard to our monthly podcast, Where to Next, brought to you by the Office of International Safety and Security here at Kennesaw State University. In this space, we talk about all things student travel, from what to pack to navigating identity while abroad. So fasten your seatbelts, all of you globetrotters and adventure seekers, as we prepare for takeoff. Hello, listeners. Happy New Year. KSU has actually been on a break since December 24th, and this is our first day back to work. So I'm really glad to be able to talk with my team at Global Affairs. Erin, happy new year. How you been? Happy new year. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. I'm very excited to see everyone. We also have a guest today. Our guest today is Nicole Meaner, who is very near and dear to us. She is the senior program coordinator in KSU's Education Abroad Office, who Erin and I work with closely on our international programs. Nicole, happy new year. How have you been? How's the break? Hi, Happy New Year. Uh, break was good. It's uh, it's always hard to come back after a week or so off. Um, so this is, you know, the first hour or so back <laughs> <Yeah>. from, <laughs> direct from vacation. So I had to be on the first podcast episode of 2021. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for being here. We're so excited to have you. We always value your input and especially with today's topic. Today's topic is your expertise. And we will be talking about first-time travelers and everything that they need to keep in mind when preparing for their travels. This year might bring in some new adventures for some people, hopefully. So we'd like to speak to that um, from getting passports to the ever talked about culture shock and but first let's start with the basics the passport we know that we can get our passports from different places such as courthouse or you can go to the embassy where else yeah so talking about uh the the courthouse um you can get it from your county clerk office Mm -hmm. um you would just kind of need to check uh, kind of what their hours are. They may have specific hours where they're signing off on those kind of things. Uh, and only certain county clerk offices do that. It won't be every county clerk office uh, in the state of Georgia or you know in the US if you're uh, not from Georgia potentially. Um, and same thing goes for embassies. Uh, if you're not a US citizen, uh, you would need to go to your specific embassy in order to get that taken care of as well. Our students at Kennesaw State University, what are their options locally? Yeah, locally, uh, you would probably start by going to the uh, Department of State website and printing out um, the form to to get your passport. But I think it's mostly automated now, like you you fill in uh, the PDF online and print it out. Um, And then you usually uh, take it to a post office and and they'll take care of it there. Um, There's also the Atlanta Passport Agency, but that is mostly for uh, dire emergency kind of situations. So if you are trying to go abroad for say like funeral or something like that, 
then they can sort of expedite that process. So normal situation would be uh, going to either the county clerk office or a post office, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would need to bring with you a photo, a passport photo. So you would get that at like a Walgreens or uh, a UPS store or something like that, FedEx store. Uh, they can take those for you. I believe didn't the education abroad office work with um, having passport days? I know right now that's probably on hold, but in the future, is that something that students could look forward to in order to get their passport photos and things? In the past, yeah, we have collaborated with the Atlanta Passport Agency. Uh, We have had passport days where students could come into our office uh, and have their passport paperwork turned in directly to passport agency officials, um, along with their photos. Um, But at the moment, like you said, it's kind of suspended just because of COVID. And um, I'm not sure at the moment when that might be coming back, uh, just because we don't know what the pandemic is doing. Um, But I would certainly hope that in the future we could do that again, because it's a great opportunity, you know, to make passports more accessible, not just for students, but also for members of the KSU community, faculty, staff, um, and anybody else in in the general area, too. So I would love to see that happen again. Wonderful. I'm so glad that you have that opportunity and partnership available. (laughs) Yeah. Just in general, how long does it usually take to get a passport? That mm-hmm. might take some planning. Yeah, in the past, it usually took about six to eight weeks, but now I think they're saying it's taking about 10 to 12 weeks to process passports. Um, so definitely we would recommend getting on that as soon as possible uh, if you're looking to uh, go on an education abroad trip. My suggestion is, is honestly, if you're even thinking about going abroad, just kind of going ahead and doing it. It's not a bad document to have just for identification purposes. It's really kind of useful for when you're applying for jobs. Uh, You can use that um, to take the place of uh, bringing in your birth certificate and social security card as identification for tax purposes, things like that. So it's kind of a useful thing to have even if you don't end up necessarily going on a program this year kind of a thing. I will vouch for the current delay. I've been assisting my parents in renewing their Mm -hmm. expired Mm -hmm. passports, which they applied for in September and are still waiting for. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'll be in that process soon. Mine's expiring this summer. So Mm. I need to get on top of that. (laughs) I actually did mine. I got, I squeaked in right before the pandemic hit. So Mm. I got got mine renewed in, in 2019. And I, I feel very lucky. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's good. So before you talked about thinking about traveling abroad, just getting it out there, applying for the passport just so that you have it. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to back up a little bit and get to that moment where you think about studying abroad and mm-hmm. those reasons why uh, someone might study abroad. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the reasons that I hear most frequently from students are just to explore if they may be just interested in whichever culture that they're you know wanting to go to so they may be interested specifically in Italian culture or um, Japanese culture or Korean culture Um, k-pop is definitely uh, a really (laughs) common reason for wanting to go abroad right now but there may also be reasons of just wanting to get the coursework done so there may be uh, specific classes abroad 
that students may want to take care of. Uh, there are definitely specific cities and specific countries that are specialized or have a specialization, I should say, in particular fields. And so students may want to um, take advantage of those opportunities. So for example, Germany uh, is really well known for engineering. So we have a lot of students who go there um, to take advantage of those opportunities in engineering. And there are also maybe lesser known ones as well. I'm thinking about uh, Scandinavia. Uh, so Sweden, Finland, Denmark are actually really, really well known for like environmental sustainability. There are some courses there uh, that students can take if they're interested in those kinds of things, things like that. So if students are looking for specific, specific courses to go towards their degree requirements, uh, they can take a look at the course catalogs um, and look at the specific faculty, faculty offered classes through KSU uh, and see what they can take towards the programs. Nice. In addition to some of the academic coursework, what are some other benefits of going abroad for some of our students and first-time travelers in general? Yeah, so there's actually been research on that, and I, I have those statistics here because I did come prepared for that. <laughs> um, so there was some research on that, and uh, it showed that 97% of study abroad students gain employment within 12 months of graduation. So students who had wow. done a study abroad program uh, during their undergraduate degree program gained employment within 12 months. And then of that 90% of students, 90% of study abroad graduates landed a job in the first six months uh, after they graduated. 25% of study abroad graduates received higher starting salaries than non-study abroad graduates. So that's a, that's a pretty significant number. And then on average, of those 25%, they earn approximately 17% more than their peers. So the national average is that they earn 7,000 more per year than their peers. And that adds up to about $567,000 more over their lifetimes. Wow, that is some good return on investment from the career standpoint. Wow. It really is, it yeah. Is. Yeah, um, and I think seeing kind of those numbers, hearing those numbers uh, can really put things in perspective for, for anyone really, um, but for students kind of thinking about, like you said, the return on investment and kind of the costs you put in versus the things you get out of it, um, especially for students who are, are who maybe think a little more practically, a little more pragmatically about things. I know I have a lot of students who are definitely concerned about the costs of, you know, studying abroad. And absolutely, that's something to take into consideration. But then you think about, okay, what am I going to get out of this? Not just an education, but also experience, life experience, course experience that can help you in the real world when you graduate. So right. seeing these numbers, you know, knowing that it will help you stand out when you graduate and, and employers really do. And I think all three of us here can vouch for this. Mm -hmm. Employers really do ask you about these things when you put them on your resume, you know, they'll, they'll say, wow, I see that you, you know, spent time abroad in XYZ country or, you know, you lived, worked in XYZ country. Tell me about that. Yeah, how was that for you? What did you learn? You know, mm -hmm. and that's an experience so. that can never be taken from you. It's not a certificate that expires. It's something that you will always have. So it's definitely a exactly. good investment. Right. Yes. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. 
love the research and just, I love the statistics as well, especially for, like you said, the pragmatic students who, you know, are practical, who need the numbers to make sure that this is actually going Mm -hmm. to be worth it. But also let's talk about, again, with our first time travelers, they have a lot of things going through their mind and we can start with, again, the small thing, well, quote unquote, small things. (laughs) (laughs) So we have our, possibly our first time flyers in general. I know for me, my first time flying was an international flight. Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved it. It was the coolest thing to me when we started the takeoff because I had never experienced that before so for Uh me it was actually an exciting time Um, but for others it might be a little bit nerve-wracking which is understandable yeah yeah you may actually be a better person than me. (laughs) I've been flying since I was a baby so this you know it was not a big deal for me Mm. Um, but definitely for first-time flyers um it, it helps, I think, to get any kind of flight experience before you go. So if you can even, like, let's say you're here in Atlanta, um, if you can get any kind of flight experience, even just maybe taking a short jaunt down to, like, Orlando or over to North Carolina, you know, somewhere just close by, a little short 45-minute jaunt just to just to get you acquainted with what a flight is like that can definitely help and those flights are pretty cheap too um that may help you to kind of get used to what a flight is like what it's like to go through an airport what it's like to go through security Mm -hmm. with a little less pressure uh than going through the process of an international um check-in and that sort of thing but there's also a lot of information on, uh, I think, the TSA website, too, about what the process is like, uh, what the, the security processes are like, what it's like to go through the scanning and all of that. So, And it helps also to talk to other students and see kind of what the process was like for them. Like, how was it to go through security, specifically through Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport kind of a thing? Because it can vary from airport to airport. So, you know, different security measures happen at different airports. They may have a scanner, they may have security dogs, they may have any number of different security measures at different airports. So it can help definitely to speak to students who have gone through the same airport and the same maybe program as this particular student is maybe thinking of going through, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it also helps with um, first-time flyers if they are interested in sort of, as you mentioned, dipping their toe in, maybe thinking about going on a group program rather mm-hmm. than a long exchange program where they're going to be more independent. independent. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Absolutely. And I'm curious about Angelica, for your first time, were you going in a group or by yourself? Yes. Yeah, so I, I like the progression of my travels. I feel like I definitely, I dipped my toe in because it was a group travel. It was about 26 of us and it was the Dominican Republic. And the next year was also a group travel that was in high school. And when I got to university, that's, I went to Costa Rica and Panama, which was also a group travel for Spanish studies. And I thought, you know what, let's try something new, something completely different. And I chose Korea. (laughs) (laughs) And which was different, but I feel like because I had done group travels, a significant amount of group travels in the past, I was prepared for what solo, quote unquote, solo travel might uh, be like. 
And I, it was an exchange program. So it was with a university. I wasn't completely alone. I was with other exchange students. But uh, again, because of my past group experiences and with group dynamics and also uh, kind of playing with going out with maybe two people or going out to a cafe by myself, I was able to really get that situational awareness and practice it. And by the time I was traveling alone, I was good to go. Mm-hmm. And with the exchange program, I decided to actually just up and live there after graduation. So I think that, you know, if any, any first time travelers who are thinking about traveling, you never know what that first step is going, where it's going to take you. Uh, it, it was worth it. I loved it. And that was I don't really consider it travel because I lived there. But as I was living there, I did solo travels to um, Singapore and Japan. (laughs) But um, again, because I had practiced that situational awareness, because I was um, used to, you know, TSA or other airport regulations, how to fly, what to pack, traveling became just like second nature to me. See, I told you you were going to be better at this than I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this. I So my first trip to the Dominican Republic, that wasn't a long flight. But from Atlanta to Korea, that's like a 14-hour yeah. flight. It's yeah. long. Pretty big that's one. That's a long one. <laughs> yeah. And I will say sometimes, you know, people get a little... Uh, jumpy when they're on the plane. That didn't mm-hmm. really happen with me the first time. But as I was going back and forth to Korea, mm-hmm. that long flight, it really gets to you. So <laughs> pack some, I don't know, puzzle books. They have in-flight movies and they do have meals. So they have snacks. Um, but yeah, make sure you're prepared mentally, physically. What I normally do, here's a tip for shorter flights. I like to get the window seat because you get to look out the window. But for the long hauls, I usually get the aisle seat. Yes. So you can just absolutely not worry about, you know, getting, climbing over people and getting into the uh, aisle way and, you know, doing some exercise, stretching or walking. That is yeah. extremely good advice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I, I always book the aisle seat regardless, because I know that I like to be able to just stand up and, and walk a little bit sometimes just um, to be able to you know, I, I'm, I am probably shouldn't be admitting this, but I am a slightly nervous flyer. Um, <laughs> so it is nice to be able to feel like you are a little bit able to uh, get up and move about and have uh, some limited freedom. So I would definitely echo that sentiment on long flights. If you can get the aisle seat, it is recommended. Yeah. And it is important on long flights to get up and walk around uh, yes. just, just for health reasons. Yes. Circulation. Uh, circulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just keep, keep your body moving. Um, so every, you know, hour or so definitely get up and get up and walk around. Um, but Angelica, you, you brought up a good point that I'd like to go back to for a minute if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that on your exchange program, um, I think this is what you said, that, uh, that you had kind of the support of your university. Um, and I just wanted to kind of mention that, that no matter what program you might be doing through KSU, uh, you would have the support of the university. You would never, even though you might be traveling independently, let's say on an exchange program or um, a program through a provider, you would never really be traveling alone, alone, because you do have um, us here at the Education Abroad Office and the Division of Global Affairs um, as your support system. And you would have the support of your host institution, uh, your provider, and all of that. 
So um, regardless of if you're doing a faculty-led program where you would have your program director, your faculty member there to support you, or you would have um, all of your host provider uh, folks and us here, um, and all the other international students who would be with you on your exchange program who are also exchange students at that school, you won't be completely alone. So that's important to keep in mind too. I saw you kind of make a gesture there, Angelica. <laughs> yeah, very good you point. Also, yes. <laughs> yes, you also have uh, us, uh, OISS, International Safety yes. Security. Yes. So if you do experience an emergency abroad, we are here for you. So don't exactly. worry. Like you said, Nicole, you're never traveling alone. You have backup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's very important to keep in mind. That is something that I do get questions about, you know, from students who are interested in exchange programs. It's like, am I going to be the only person there? And it's like, you know, you may be the only student from KSU who is going on this particular program, but you will never be the only student from America. You will never be the only international student there. You will always have some, some person who can be your buddy to go walking with you, to explore restaurants with you. You always have someone. So don't worry about that. And I think KSU, I know for my university, um, there was actually international buddies. Yes. So mm -hmm. I, for my exchange program, I actually had an international buddy and they mm -hmm. served as a really good, kind of like a buffer mm -hmm. to you and the society that you are now in. They can right. really introduce you to different foods, music, different um, just parks that you all can go to. Yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, not every university that we partner with has a buddy program, um, but I would say the majority of them do. Mm -hmm. So definitely take advantage of that, yeah. So we mentioned before, TSA and making sure that you understand the restrictions, regulations, so that it could be just be a smooth process. But we also want to make sure that you all understand the CDC guidelines as well, because with, of course, us being a pandemic, travel is going to be sparse, but once it actually starts opening up and it's there's more of a frame, a system for safe travel. Really look at those CDC guidelines. I, CDC now has their um, actual travel health notice page just for COVID-19. Keep your eye on that day by day since it changes day by day. Uh, that will really help you in your travels, especially with the specific country that you're traveling to. Each country has their own regulations that come with covid uh, making sure you have extra masks or you understand the six feet, uh, you understand what zones might, might be open, what times grocery stores open and close, especially for exchange students who live in an apartment by themselves. Keeping your mind on that, keep your eyes on those stats would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And definitely also if there's any kind of quarantine procedure for when you enter the country, mm -hmm. that would be important to know too. Navigating that is is a very nuanced and ever-changing process. So. Um, International Safety and Security and Education Abroad Office are definitely here to help you walk through um, and understand and interpret all of the nuances associated with travel to your destination during these unique times. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, please don't say unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> that word. That word is banned. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> but yes, uh, speaking of health, do health checkups before uh, you actually get on the plane. 
some countries require vaccines and also it's just good practice to make sure that you you're like you're good health wise to get on the plane to handle that flight uh to handle whatever excursions or whatever the itinerary holds for you and we also have our student health services on campus here's a plug yeah your student uh, fees pay for them best to do that about four to six weeks prior to your travels just to make sure especially if you need to get any vaccinations and things I do want to say if you are going someplace that requires yellow fever vaccination that you will need to go specifically to a stamerol clinic so be sure you do look at the CDC website first check and see if that is a requirement and then if that is make sure you look on their website to identify which stamerol clinics are closest to you so that you can take care of that in one fell swoop rather than having to do a stop at the student health services and then yet another appointment at a Stamerol clinic. Definitely glad you brought that up. Yeah, because I was actually going to, yeah, I was going to mention yellow fever. Um, The other one I was going to mention was that it is very common for um, countries in Asia uh, to require a tuberculosis test for student visas. So if you're planning on doing a long-term program in Asia, um, that's something that you should budget for is a tuberculosis test. Yeah, definitely. Nice. The next couple things that we're going to mention vary from country to country, but we just want to make sure that it's on your radar so you can know what to expect. Downloading helpful apps. Uh, Each country has their own app. So for example, we have for food, Grubhub, uh, maybe Uber Eats. Other countries have that as well. For example, if you if the pandemic is still happening and yet somehow safe travel can be done, you might prefer to do your grocery shopping through an app. Just have them delivered to you. Have your food delivered to you. Uh, also, with banking, some if you especially for our long term students, the exchange students, you might end up getting a bank account over there. That bank might have their own app, and they might have it in English, they might have it in that language. Uh, It really is up to your comfortability with that local language. Also transportation apps as well. Uh, For some countries, public transportation is the norm. So definitely get on top of that, figure out what bus you need to take to get to class or to your internship. They're useful in that you can see what bus is coming, um, if if the train is full, also with high-speed trains as well. Another tip I recommend, if you do speak the language, most of the time, the app that comes in that country's language has more features. So you can choose your seat. You can get meals or entertainment. Uh, So just keep that in mind. When you're learning languages, you have more access to things in that country. Very true, yeah. And I would say that most of these apps are going to be more useful, like you said, for students that are on long-term programs. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely some of them can be useful for students who are on uh, short-term programs too. Um, Definitely things like you said, the uh, public transportation kind of apps. Uh, So even even just Google Maps, honestly, is useful. Uh, And Google Translate is useful. But there are definitely specific apps. Um, I'm thinking like messaging apps. There tend to be like specific messaging apps that uh, that vary by country, like WeChat, uh, Kakao Talk, Line. Um, I think most of Europe uses WhatsApp. 
mm-hmm. at this point, um, but there may be others that I, I just don't know about because I'm not super familiar with Europe. As far as like Uber and Lyft, uh, they may have, I know, I know that Uber definitely exists in other countries and they would have an app for that. I'm not sure about grocery delivery, but probably there's apps for that too. We do have a handout for uh, some handy apps, uh, but we're kind of updating it at the moment. So that would be something that we can uh, we can offer to students uh, so that students have a resource for that. Um, we're just kind of going through right now and making sure that it's up to date uh, and taking off any apps that no longer exist or are no longer useful and updating that with some new information. So we'll have that uh, available soon. And going back to the transportation apps, have to step in and talk a little bit about the Uber and, and all of those things. Yes, Just please make do. sure that um, where you are traveling to, that uh, you know you are aware of the legalities and the safety precautions around the various uh, you know user uh, rideshare services, and, and figuring out what the cultural attitudes are towards specific companies as well. In some places, Uber may not be as popular um, or the government may have uh, some tensions there. So just make sure that you are, are familiar with sort of what's going on and what the safest transportation method is for your location. Uh, another thing that we wanted to mention were phone plans, which again, very country specific. You, ha- you have the option of international phone plans with the carrier service that you have here in the U.S., but if you'd like to get a phone plan, sometimes some countries have, once you get to the airport, they have these uh, tourist plans that last for a short, short amount of time. And it actually might be cheaper than getting an international plan with your carrier here in the U.S. Yeah, and it, uh, it may also be possible for you to purchase uh, a SIM card at the airport, too. It may just depend on what is is kind of the cheapest uh, method and how long you're going to be in country. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yes, Mm -hmm. definitely. If you're a short-term traveler, just sometimes you can ask your carrier and see what options are for just enabling you to be able to use your phone for a short period as needed. Um, But for longer-term travel, there are many more options to explore. And circling back to what you mentioned, Erin, about uh, there being tensions with certain company, international companies, understand the local laws. Uh, since when we do travel, we are a guest in that country. And we want to make sure that we don't cause a ruckus, basically. Right. <laughs> when you travel abroad, you're not only representing yourself, you're representing Kennesaw State University, Georgia, the U.S., essentially how people see you on the street that's what you're representing which can be a bit weighty at times but if you understand how to carry yourself abroad you'll be able to maneuver that in these situations a little bit more carefully definitely yes and um you know goes back to that doing your research that we always harp on, um, you know, find out what, uh, you know, the various laws are, legalities and attitudes and such. Um, sometimes they're a little funny. For instance, in Singapore, you got to be careful about chewing gum. Yes. Um, so just making sure that you are situationally aware. Mm-hmm. I kind of like what you said, Angelica, that the goal is to not cause a ruckus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> but, but at the same time, um, 
as you said, these can be a bit weighty. So we'd want to make sure that students are still realizing that they are able to go out there and be themselves and have right. fun yes. And, yes. and make friends and make connections, but just doing so in a, um, a mindful manner. Right. Yes. Right. And some situations you kind of don't have a choice if you cause a ruckus or not. And what I mean by this is that at in one situation, you might be the only foreigner in the room. Right. And that's not a bad thing. It's just different for the people who are in that room. And if you have a positive attitude and open mind about going into this situation, you'll be able to make possibly some really good relationships and friendships there, some connections. Um, you'll be able to represent whatever that you stand for and share your values. And in turn, you'll be able to get the values of the people within that room as well. Absolutely. Two-way street. I love that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It, it may be entirely possible that by virtue of being a foreigner, a ruckus may be caused. <laughs> yeah. We can talk about that a little bit more in the, in the culture shock Actually, section. If y'all are good with it, let's just go ahead and dive into the culture shock. Sure. Yeah. That's good. Go for it. Okay, but before we do that, we do have one commercial and first time travelers, make sure you listen up because this information is for you. Hey there, it's Angelica, your friendly neighborhood podcast host. If you're listening to this episode, then chances are travel is on your radar. Well, you're in luck. Education Abroad just launched their virtual study abroad fair. Are you interested in tapping into your inner earth scientist in Japan? We got you covered. Or maybe you're nearing the end of your graduate program and you'd like to complete it by taking courses in Ireland. There is a program for that. Or maybe you'd like to make a splash in Belize with the marine biology program. Whatever your inspiration may be, visit the link in the description so you can find a program that fits you and begin planning your next journey. Yes, travel is up in the air, but hey, maybe sometime in the future you will be too. And we are back. We have with us today Nicole Meener, Senior Program Coordinator over at Education Abroad. And before we left for break, we were talking about culture shock. This is something that affects all travelers. And it's something that can be really small as in noticing differences like, oh, they drive on the other side of the street. Or it could be a long process of adjustment. But again, we're here talking about this. We want to make sure that you as the listener, as the traveler or future first time traveler, <laughs> that you understand what to expect. It's okay to kind of go through certain highs and lows that's normal with the trip, but we would like to equip you all with tools that again, you can add to your toolbox in order to better assess situations and assess your emotions and how you're feeling and how to go forward with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it would help because uh, there are certain stages. Now you might not follow these stages exactly, but this is just a diagram that might be helpful for you so that when you're going through the highs and lows, you kind of know what to expect. But I think Nicole probably can speak more to that. 
Sure. Um, when when Angelica says diagram, um, <laughs> I, I want you to I want you to think of a W shape because that's the the scientific <laughs> diagram that uh, that we in the the field um, <laughs> generally use. Uh, it's called the W model of, of culture shock, and that's because it illustrates kind of like she said the highs and the lows of culture shock. Cultural adjustment, really, not not culture shock, cultural adjustment. And the the most important thing to kind of think about in that is just to remember that it doesn't last forever. However, it it's not it's not a one and done process. You're constantly adjusting, right? So you may go through this process more than once. So you may get there and experience, like you'll start out in what we call the honeymoon stage when everything is um, bright and shiny and everything is very exciting. And then slowly sort of transition into what we call um, culture shock, right? So that's the stage where everything is kind of irritating you and um, things just aren't what you expected they might be. And so you might be really upset about it. And then slowly you may sort of start to adjust to it. And so it, it, it may be, things are getting better for you. But then it, you may start to have a low tide again. So it, it goes through the ups and downs over and over again. So it, it's not just the once you adjust, that's it. You mean you it's not rainbows forever. and cupcakes forever? <laughs> it's not rainbows and cupcakes forever, but it's important to know that you'll have good days and bad days. That's what I'm trying to say. Because if you know that, if you know going into it that you'll have good days and bad days, then you can take steps to, to cope and, and to address your bad days when they come. And to know that it's okay when you have bad days. It's okay, you know, when you wake up and you're like, ugh, I just don't feel like <laughs> speaking Italian today. I just don't, <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's all right. It's exhausting to exist. In, in a second culture, it's exhausting to think in a second language all day. It, it, it is, it puts stress on your brain. So it's okay to have those days. What is important is having those coping skills, having those mechanisms to let off that stress. We can talk a little bit about that, but since we all have lived abroad, I'm sure we all have stories and <laughs> all yeah. sorts of fun stuff. <laughs> I, I echo everything that you just said, Nicole. For me personally, I would say I didn't experience culture culture shock in my first travels and my first years of travels because I was so excited to be abroad and green and ready. I would say the hardest culture shock that I experienced was when I actually ended up moving and living abroad, which is interesting because I had studied abroad in Korea for a semester and I experienced just a very small amount of culture shock. I was really missing home and then I, I went to this American restaurant in Seoul and I was good to go. But when I actually moved abroad, that's something very different from studying abroad. You're a student, no responsibilities, but when you're working, you are basically living your life as you would in the US, like with a job, with other responsibilities, but abroad. So you're learning a language, having to communicate in that language, figure out transportation, figure out shopping and grocery shopping and all of that. And it definitely adds more stress to the body and to the mind. And like you said, Nicole, before, it was highs and lows. Some weeks, I would say the first couple 
the first two months for me were probably the toughest. Oh yeah. Trying to adjust and not be irritated all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But um, afterwards, kind of like what we mentioned with the mental health episode before uh, this one, making sure you give yourself different goals. Like, you know, I came here to learn Korean. I came here to do X, Y, and Z. I need to start working towards that. Um, Or you might give yourself different social challenges uh, because you might be stressed about actually getting out there and getting your goals done and talking to people. So starting off small, like joining different groups, Uh, You could even join maybe with, I was working in a school system. So my teachers were so, I'm so thankful for them because they really held my hand (laughs) throughout the process. And they, um, we went out to lunch together. I practiced my Korean with them. Some of them actually went abroad themselves. So they kind of knew the whole process. But yeah, I, like you said, it's highs and lows. I will say this after a full year of living abroad, that second year was exponentially easier. I like, I just soar, I flew off because I I knew my surroundings and I had a better grip on the language. I had a better grip on the culture, what's expected of me as I'm floating through this new society that's also becoming not so new to me. I'm becoming more of a regular. But yeah, like you said, Nicole, allowing yourself the space and the time to feel what you feel, just get those feels out, making sure you have hobbies and certain outlets that can give you clarity in situations like mine was writing. Uh, But yeah, I, again, talking to people as well. Those are mine. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to something that you mentioned, Angelica, about being on your first trip and being short term and with a group and not feeling the culture shock. Mm -hmm. And that was a very similar experience for me that my first few travels were were not really filled with culture shock. And it was not until I lived uh, abroad that I really experienced more of that. But giving yourself permission to not feel the culture shock Mm -hmm. when perhaps some of your peers may be feeling it. Um, and also being sympathetic and, and supportive for those who are feeling it, even if it is a short-term travel and, and you may you know, still be on your honeymoon phase, but someone else isn't. So just recognizing that there is variation and everyone experiences it differently. And some people may be fortunate and not really experience it um, at all or to that extent that others do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would echo that. Um, I, I also, <laughs> most of my uh, experience prior to living abroad was short term. And I did experience culture shock when I was, uh, when I was abroad those first couple times. Um, and it was difficult for me because my peers were totally having like the best time ever. And I was uh, like sulking in the corner. <laughs> uh, and they were like all trying to like pull me in and um you know, trying to get me involved. And it just wasn't what I needed at that time. I just, I needed to just be by myself and, and to just kind of be observant and um, take things at my own pace. And I wasn't given that at that time. Uh, and it was very difficult for me. So I really appreciate you saying that because that was my experience. And it, 
if I had if I had it to do over again, I think I wish I would have spoken up and said something about it, you know, so, um, so message to all students. <laughs> yes. And yeah, that's exactly it. Speak, you know, speak up speak and up. know what you need. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't be afraid to just say, you know, hey, please just leave me be. <laughs> yeah. And that, that kind of um, brings up sort of the fact that it does manifest, culture shock does manifest in different ways and different people. Um, so it may be the case that, you know, for one person, they may come across as irritated. Um, for one person, it may manifest as sort of like a depression um, or an anxiety. Uh, so look out for each other if you're on a group trip or, you know, if you're on an exchange and you have a friend or something like that. Um, definitely look out for one another. And if it seems like, you know, they need something, then, you know, help your friends out. If they want, if they want to be left alone, then by all means, you know, do let them have their space to an extent. If it's clear that, you know, they are having some sort of crisis, then do tell a trusted adult, such as, you know, your program coordinator, uh, program director, the faculty member, your host um, coordinators, but, you know, just, just look out for each other. It's, it's tough. It can be tough. Thanks I, for sharing that. That was yeah, yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all speaking from personal experience here. Definitely, definitely. And I love what you said, Nicole. It comes out in different ways. Just like you said, sometimes it comes out within depression or anxiety, which can already be tough if you're already struggling with that here within the U.S. So I think having a game plan before you actually get there and understanding how you personally communicate to others. Having yes. that, yeah, that communication is key. If something is bothering you or you would rather, if you would rather be left alone um, and not go to a uh, bad gathering or what have you, it's okay to say that. It's okay to just have time to yourself. And like you said, I love the word that you use, Nicole, observe. Some people are observers. Mm -hmm. They gather and collect information by sitting you know, away for a little bit and understanding how the room works. I keep on bringing up the room, but let's just put ourselves in a room here <laughs> um, and just seeing how people interact. That's how people gather information. Other people might just go in there and see what happens, um, which also it might work for you. So just making sure you understand how you communicate and how you kind of weave and bob through the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely, uh, if you take a look at um, Kolb's learning styles, um, mm -hmm. K-O-L-B, um, he writes a lot about uh, the different ways that people process information. Um, and so it, it was very eye-opening for me when I started learning about those, um, because it explained a lot about kind of why I do the things that I do as far as like, like that, that observing why I have a tendency to but just stand back and kind of observe. But anyway, that's totally irrelevant. But no, no. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounds like a good research rabbit hole to go down. Absolutely. <laughs> it is. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's really useful for um, anybody who's interested in education or um, just even, you know, if you're interested about knowing more about your own personality, because it's like you, you um, it helps you to understand how you learn better, you know? So anyway. Nice. Oh, nice. I like it. <laughs> so we've covered culture adjustment. I like that word, culture adjustment. Yes. But one thing that 
I found surprising for me when coming, like moving back to the US was that there's also reverse cultural adjustment. I was not prepared for that. And we've all been abroad. I'm sure we can speak to that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think when I was coming back to the US, I envisioned myself just hitting the ground running because you know it, it's my culture, this is my city, it's my country, I know how it works, I can speak the language fluently. And my main support system was here in the US. But one thing I found was while I was abroad, I was creating another support system. I was creating another kind of like an ecosystem, my own world making these relationships and connections and, you know, seeing my favorite barista or going to my favorite grocery store saying, Hey, to my neighbors, like you make these connections. And then when you move back, you're kind of starting from zero again. So you kind of have to build that up again a little bit. Totally. And I, uh, I wish that listeners could see our faces because <laughs> all of our facial expressions are somewhere between, ah, uh, yes, wistful and, and totally screaming inside. <laughs> I think all three of us, we went to um, East Asian countries to, to live. And yes. so I'm curious, how long did it take everyone to stop bowing upon return <laughs> to the U.S.? It's a couple bucks for me. So funny. <laughs> I still do it. When I accept things from people, I I like slightly yes. in, incline a little bit. My True. mom commented on it once. She was like, <laughs> she was like, I noticed that that you bow a little bit when you take things from people. <laughs> it's like, oh no. <laughs> I still hand things over or accept things with two hands. Two hands. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just one hand just seems so rude yes, to me. Yes. <sighs> or like accept and give with yes. two hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny how the culture just ingrained yourself even in your physical muscle memory. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reverse culture shock, I think, is uh or re entry shock. Um it we kind of use it interchangeably. Is uh, I hate to I don't like scaring students like this, but I think whoever I talk to, no matter who I talk to about it, everybody says it's harder than they didn't expect that it would be harder. (laughs) Just because I I think we underestimate it. Uh, I think we underestimate how ingrained we become in our host cultures. I think we underestimate the effect that making a new home and making space for a new culture and a new everything in in our hearts has on us. So I think when we come back and things have changed uh, at, at our home, quote unquote, our original home, um, that, that can be very jarring. And trying to make space for those changes in addition to the, the changes we've already made, it can be very overwhelming. Like you said, just missing people and things and places can be very overwhelming. And you're just not the same person that you were when you left. And that's important to acknowledge. It's really, really important to acknowledge that because it's entirely possible that the people that you were close to when you left, you may no longer be close to, or you know, because they may not have changed. 
it, and that can be really overwhelming too. It's just, it's very, and you can't really explain this to people who haven't mm-hmm. experienced it because it's such a profound experience. So it's very difficult. <laughs> that I, I, I think that's really it. That mm-hmm. is kind of the crux of the matter. And, I, and so I think that's why it's just such a profound psychological experience that it, that's why it's so much more, uh, just more period than the initial cultural adjustment experiences. Do you think knowing about reverse or reentry culture adjustment or culture shock uh, on the forefront helps cushion that blow? Or do you think it's just something that's sort of inevitable? And then are there ways that you would recommend students sort of deal with it, like talking with others who have experienced it or other means of of coping with all of the changes and with the, the evolution that they've undergone? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you can know about it. You can know that it happens. You can know that that people experience it. You can read accounts. You know, we can we can talk. All, all three of us can can discuss our experiences till the cows come home. But like I said, like unless you have been through it yourself, it's it's my personal opinion that it just doesn't have the same effect as as actually living it yourself. And so it, it's just an abstract, it's too abstract a concept than actually living it. So yes, you can prepare for it. You can absolutely prepare for it. But I think that you have to actually be on the cusp of it to actually be able to prepare for it. You have to be like right about to be there. Like you need to be preparing, preparing to come home before you can prepare for it, if that makes sense, you know, because you have to be like, you have to be like staring down the barrel of it Mm. because you have to be able to conceptualize it before you can actually do something about it. I think before you can, before you can prepare, before you, can, if you can't conceptualize it, <laughs> then you can't prepare for it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yes. What resources do students have when they return to help them unpack their experiences? Yeah. So they definitely have all of us <laughs> first and foremost. Um, I definitely have, I love it when students come back and uh, ask to make appointments with me because I love hearing about their programs. Uh, I have definitely chatted with students in my office for over an hour, <laughs> uh, just talking about their experience and you know what it meant to them and uh, you know how things have been since they've been back. We love it when students do that because it gives us an opportunity, A, to just hear what their program was like, you know, that's actually really important to us because we don't often get feedback from students. So just from a a purely business perspective, we really like that. But also because we, we don't get to, you know, talk about stuff like international experiences very often either. So we, we really appreciate giving students the opportunity to talk about their programs because we understand, you know, after 30 seconds, people just glaze over a lot of the time. So we're not going to be those people for you. You know, we'll be the people who will continue to listen to you when you show us your 500th photo (laughs) of this wall 
in <laughs> Switzerland. <laughs> uh, we will love all of the beautiful cobblestones <laughs> that you've taken pictures of. So by all means, our office, you know, the whole of, of Education Abroad, OISS, Division of Global Affairs, we'll listen. We're, we're here for you for that. Um, friends, definitely, to a, but to a certain extent, right? Because right. They, they may, you know, your mileage may vary on that, Fam, <laughs> family and friends. Other uh, program alums, so the people who were with you on your program or people who may have done the same program but did it on a different year, we can help put you in touch with those people. Uh, we actually have recently just made a LinkedIn group for um, KSU Education Abroad alumni. So uh, you can look for that on LinkedIn and please feel free to join it uh, or send a request to join and we'll approve you for that. Uh, so you can take a look for people who have previously done your program and uh, connect with them there. What about, um, I'm guessing there are perhaps some, um, not only just like clubs and things on campus that students could join, but also different cultural societies and groups, yes. um, yeah, professional definitely. organizations for young adults that have, you know, have these international experiences and things. Yeah. So there's all the different language uh, clubs. Um, I know there's definitely one for Arabic. Uh, and there's definitely ones for Korean and Japanese. Um, I'm assuming there are ones probably for the other languages too. I just happen to know about those in particular. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, also the International Student Association um, does a lot of activities on campus. Um, and, and you may be thinking kind of like, well, why would I join that? I'm not an international student. And maybe you're not, but they are essentially doing what you did just kind of in reverse, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're studying abroad here. So uh, like, let's say you had a buddy, right, at your university, maybe you would like to be a buddy to somebody who is studying abroad here. So that could be something that you might really enjoy getting involved in. Or uh, our conversation partners, KSU has conversation partners as well. So you could uh, help an international student who's learning English to learn English here. I love those ideas. I like the language partner idea. Uh, especially, like you said before, the exchange students coming here to Kennesaw State or wherever you are, whatever university is, you were once international students, so you have something in common with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've definitely had uh, cases where students who went to a partner university uh, have met students who were from that partner university. So uh, like, let's say a student went in the spring to like, let's say, uh, Japan, then in the fall, maybe a student from that university came here. And so they maybe had already known each other. And so they knew that they had a friend here and were able to you know, show them around campus or something like that. So it's been, it's been really nice having, you know, those resources or, you know, vice versa, maybe, you know, there was a student here say from Japan or something. And then maybe a student from KSU went there and they already had a friend in Japan. So uh, it's, yeah, it's good to make friends with the international student community here, especially if you're interested in studying abroad. Mm -hmm. Well, all of this has just been gold. I love the information that we share. Glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's been Absolutely. wonderful. Yeah. Yes, thank Definitely. you. Glad, glad I was here and thank you for having me. We hope our first time travelers were able to glean something from this. 
as we said before, if you have any more questions, our doors, our virtual doors are open. (laughs) (laughs) But listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, well, good news. We are now not only on SoundCloud, but also Spotify, Anchor, and other podcast streaming services. Go ahead and hop on over to your preferred podcast streaming app and give some of our past episodes a listen. If you think they're pretty interesting, go ahead and click that like button and don't forget to subscribe and follow us so that you can get updates for when new episodes drop. We hope you enjoyed this talk. And if you did, feel free to share with friends and family. Lastly, may this new year have many good things and adventures in store for you. We'll come back to you soon with next month's episode so we can talk more about where to next.